Good morning, Chair City Church. Jesus is not dead. Beat your drum. Let's celebrate. It's a great morning here, Easter morning here at Chair City Church. Special time day in our church. It's our first Easter in our new building. Wonderful, huh? So, so glad to see friends and guests. Some of the guests I recognize from yesterday when we had our egg hunt here in the building. Wow, we're a crazy bunch. We are such passionate volunteers, people crazy about Jesus here, crazy about life. People poured themselves into this Friday night, came Saturday. We had, we had about 300 people come in here. They had a blast. Place was filled with balloons. We had 3,000 balloons, 6,000 eggs. People were blown, really, people were blown away. People came in and they were so impressed with the building, but they were more impressed with the church, right? God's blessed us with this building. It's just a wonderful place, but we are the church. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We love one another. We love people. And that really showed yesterday. Thank you so much. So the fall of 2016, maybe the summer of the fall of 2016, I'd walk through the building and, uh, and I'd look down the hallways. I'd look in the auditorium, which was a gymnasium mostly at the time. What you're seeing here was a gym. And I would think, what is it going to be like when we come in here for our first Easter. And here we are, we made it, you did it, to God be the glory. It's more than we could have imagined. Two services, cranking, doing so well. I mean, just these are amazing, you just don't skip a beat. Now I wanna kick off our morning here with a great verse for the Easter season, found in Romans chapter eight, verse 11. And it says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. I want to pause there before I finish out the rest of the verse. You see that same power of God, that same spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. It's not like it was a one-time thing, God showed up then but not now. It's not a that was then, this is now. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is in you now, today, this Easter morning, right? And because of that, listen up, because of that, you not only get to celebrate Easter, but you get to experience Easter. You get to experience Easter. Now, I, I want us to celebrate Easter. I enjoy celebrating Easter. We should celebrate Easter to recognize and honor what Jesus did, but I want you to experience Easter. You see, because if you experience Easter, your life is changed. Your life is impacted. When you experience Easter, the power of God lives in you. It's living, it's active. Let's read the rest of the verse. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living in you. In the same way God gave life by the spirit to Jesus' lifeless body, God will bring life to what is dead in your life. 
There are things that are dead in your life that should not be dead, that should not be floundering, that should not be depressed or pressed. They should be vibrant. They should be alive. And today you experience Easter. It comes alive as God intended it to. So listen, let's celebrate Easter today gladly, but let's take it to another level. Let's together experience Easter like we never have before. Experience it spiritually, that the Spirit of God lives in us. That those dead areas in our lives would come alive again by the Spirit of God that is living in you. The resurrection of Jesus gives you the power to close the gap from the life you are living to the one you could live. So really, let's, and you know that. Some of you are haunted by this truth that you're like, okay, this is the life I'm living, but this is the life I want to be living, should be living. What's going on here? How am I here when I should be here? It's not what my, my life is supposed to look like. There are just pieces missing, disconnectedness. Listen. What you need is the Spirit of God. What you need is the resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the dead that Easter. That power has changed hundreds of millions of lives through the centuries. That power has changed, healed marriages, delivered people from addictions, brought dreams back to life. That's the power that is in you. And, Jesus, and that's the power that closes the gap from what is not to what should be. That's the power that brings peace and wholeness to your life. It's, it's just that's the power. And that power is part of a process. And you see that process in the story of Easter. You see three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you see three significant events, the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection. And it's a process, three steps. I think God wanted us to see it that way because, you know, just the kind of a liberty here taken and some insight, you know, he could have had Jesus die on the cross and 10 minutes later or an hour later jump off. He didn't. He put it through a process, three days, three steps. And you know what happens is sometimes we get caught in that process. God meant us to move through that process like Jesus did from Friday to Saturday to Sunday. But we kind of get stuck in there. You see, the first part of that process was Friday. And Friday was the day of pain. Jesus came to this world to pay the price for the sins of all humanity, my sins, your sins. And this was fulfilled when Jesus was crucified on the cross, what we know as Good Friday. He could have come, Jesus, at any point in human history. But God just so happened to pick this time in human history when the Romans ruled the world. When the Romans executed or carried out capital punishment in such a, such a, such a ruthless way like few empires have, that's when Jesus came into the world to have capital punishment levied on him. And why did God do that? Because God chose for Jesus to have that day of pain, huh? that brutal day of pain. 
That day, Jesus experienced emotional pain. He was rejected, despised, betrayed, scoffed, mocked at, abandoned. Why? Because this is what God called, as God said he would be, through the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus is crucified. The prophet Isaiah records in Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 4, he says he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care, yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Isaiah's prophesying, predicting of the coming Messiah, the nation of Israel coming Messiah. That same day, Jesus knew physical pain. He was tortured, whipped, nails put through his hands and his feet. As God said he would, through that same prophet, 700 years before Jesus was crucified, Isaiah records in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 through 7, he says this, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have, sway, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as sheep is silent before the shearer, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. He had no children. That his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. Wow. Jesus could have came at any time, but he comes now. I just want to say this to lend some credibility. Some people, when they see such verses, so what we call a prophetic verse, Isaiah writes this, records this. We know this because, you know, we, we, we have... They have the documents, they have the physical evidence to, to prove that what Isaiah wrote actually existed and was written one, you know, dated 700 years before Jesus was born. They've done that. And people say, okay, well, so this guy Isaiah, who's a supposed prophet, okay, so he, so, okay, so he did write that 700 years ago. That's indisputable. But, you know, Jesus' followers, they just read that and then they made up their own story to match what he wrote, Right? Well, okay, but did they make Jesus up then? Well, that's impossible because historians, world historians, Jewish historians tell us that no, there was a man named Jesus, as we said last week. He was a Jewish sage. They didn't call him the Messiah, but he was a Jewish sage, a, a mystic teacher, and he was crucified by the Romans. So now if you still hold to that, they made it up. What you're saying is Isaiah writes it 700 years before Christ is crucified. Then these followers of Jesus, kind of like lowly, poor Jewish fishermen, conspire together to get the Jewish leaders, governors of Jerusalem, and the Roman Empire to cooperate with them to kill this guy. 
I think I'll just believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God was crucified and risen on the third day. Yes? Yeah, that would be like, that would be like gathering up like, you know, a drunk from Gardner, a, a drunk from Winchenden. Westminster, there's no drunks there, right? Okay. They're just all good people in Westminster. I know, you don't like it when I do that. I said I'd leave the French Canadians alone today because my mother-in-law is cooking Easter dinner, so I'm not going to get on her and her ham like I do. Listen, could you imagine that, though? A couple of guys from Winchin and Gardner, Athol, come together, and they're going to convince the National Guard and the governor of Massachusetts how about just the United States Army to kill us? It's, it's not going to happen, right? Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and raised on the third day, yes? All right. Now, what we see here is this process, right, of in this day of pain, that Jesus goes through all of this so that he could be there for us, so that he could know what we went through, so that we could see this process and know that this is part of it all, part of the process that has this phenomenal ending, that when we're in the midst of our pain, we can know what took place and have that unbelievable, insatiable hope. You might be in, in emotional pain today. You might have physical pain today. Your body's hurting, it's just getting into your head. But I wanna just let you know that God is with you. He does not sleep. He is not silent. He does not slumber. But God's hand is on you. God is orchestrating everything in your life. Christy and I have a saying, there's nothing that comes into our life that has not gone through the hands of God first. We believe this. God has a purpose for your life. Now, some of you are in Friday. You're in the day of pain. I want, you to, I want to read Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And it says, and we know that God causes everything to work together, everything, for the good of those who love God and who are called according for his purpose for them. Right? God does have a purpose for you. And often the process of coming to that, that purpose is filled with pain, although unwanted, unexpected sometimes, but it's pain. And the lesson is this, that God, a sovereign God, a most excellent God, a holy God, an almighty God, see, God puts purpose in the pain. It helps to know that, to believe that. God called me and Christy to plant a church, actually, in Gardner, 2010. We set out, I mean, we're like, you know, dreaming we're, we're just super psyched about it. We're going to sit out now to do this wonderful thing. We just can feel, feel it building, and then wham, we hit it, man. We hit it. Unnecessary obstacles, things, people coming against us. Oh, it just was so overwhelming to us. We just could never have imagined that this, this can't be happening to us. And not like a one incident for a day or a week. I mean for months and months and months. All of this coming against us, me, her, the family, all of this. It's like, why? I struggled. I mean, I, you know, we put all we had. We stopped our lives. 
We're hanging by our thread emotionally, financially, physically. It was overwhelming me. I'm down. I'm beaten down. I'm, I'm depressed. I'm, I'm angry. I'm just in emotional turmoil. People begin to tell me, you know, it's just not going to work. Not so much in a malicious way, but they just say, David, it's just, it's, just, it's not going to work. I mean, you, you know how many people fail when they try and start this and you're in Gardner? And, and as far as this thing, honestly, somebody from, just said, Dave, listen. And he had a position in a fairly well-to-do church said, Dave, it's just not going to happen. You're not going to see people come to know Jesus. It just won't happen. It doesn't really happen. How are you and your wife and just going to do this? Well, here we are because of God's plan six and a half years later. And look at what God has done in Chair City Church. Come on now. Come on now. Look around you. People have come to know Jesus. Probably kick around 400 people today. It's insane. It's awesome. It's God's plan. And he knew that. He knew that when I was in my place of pain and of despair, he knew what his plan was. And he just, Dave, man, there's a process. Hold, hold, hold. Hold on to the hope. Hold on to God's plan. Hold. Listen, there is no pain that his purpose cannot redeem. God, today as I look out to you, this is redemption, huh? The redemption of God in my life, in Chrissy's life, in the lives of many of you. Look at what God is doing. He will redeem. As we say here, God does not waste our pain. Yes? So for Jesus, after Friday, there was Saturday, the, the day of confusion. So in the Jewish day, the day kind of you know, ends, begins at 6 o'clock p.m. at sundown. So here we are, it's beginning of Saturday. Sun has set and Jesus is laying dead in a tomb. Huh? He's laying in the tomb of a rich, wealthy Jewish man, Joseph of Arimathea. And this is happening as God had said it would through the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah records this, this message to the Jewish people that God gave him. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9, he writes this 700 years before Jesus is born. He, Jesus, had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. So Jesus is crucified on Friday. And then Saturday, the disciples come together and they're like, Phew, Yahoo, all right, here comes Sunday, baby, right? No. No, you see, even though Jesus told them that he would be resurrected, that he'd be crucified, buried, and resurrected on the third day, they just don't grasp that. The chaos, the mayhem, the trauma, they've got no recollection of this, huh? Maybe it was just their expectations of what they wanted, what they thought they needed, what they expected from God is just crumbling before them, huh? It's not God's purpose, but it was their plan, and they just get steeped in confusion. They were so confused, the Bible tells us, that they resorted back to their lives before they met Jesus, as almost as if they had not seen Jesus. 
And when we get confused like them, we tend to just think crazy stuff. We, for, we forget what's most important to us. We don't turn and look at what's best in us and we're optimism. We're pessimists. We, looked at what's, we look at what is the least of us. We, we lean on our limitations, not the spirit of God that lives in us. So maybe you, like them, are kind of stuck on Friday. Maybe you're stuck on, on Saturday. And when you get stuck in Saturday, that's when you start thinking, hey, I want answers. We want answers. Why is this going on? Why is this happening to me? And I'm not talking about like, you know, you know light questions that have light answers like, you know, why is the guy that we give all our money to called a broker? Right? Why, if planes are so safe to fly, do they call the place a terminal where they land? I'm talking about like, like, I'm talking about why me? Why is this happening to me? What's going on right now in my life? I've asked those questions before. It was really a good part of my inner narrative before I came to know Christ. I can't tell you it's left me, but it was certainly the big part of my story before I came to know Jesus in my latter 20s. You know, why, why was I born to a teenage mom at 15 in poverty and others were born to stable, well-off families and they had this and I had that and I had to work so stinking hard and do sick stuff to even get half of what they had? Why? Did my father die a tragic death when I was four years old and people get to live with their father for the rest of their lives and know him and be loved and nurtured by them? Why did that happen to me? Why me? And then what about that, the woman who played such a huge part of raising me, my nanny, why did she die at 14? Like, I mean, when is enough enough? Why? Why does this happen? I want an answer. We want answers. And that's what happens when we get steeped in confusion. As I had lived most of my life. You see? Why? Even then, why? I mean, I'm setting out to do something with my dear wife and my family. They're, just, they're little kids at the time. I think well, our oldest is right at that time, probably like 11. We got little kids. Joy is a handful. And we're giving everything we got. Why does it have to be so difficult? Why is this happening? We mean well. We're doing nothing but good. Why is this going on? And you get confused. And when we get confused, when I get confused, we begin to doubt. Listen, some of you, you're stuck in Saturday and you're filled with doubt. It's on you. It's in your mind. And as you think so, you feel so, you do, people, you know. You don't even, have, if, unless you just stop and pause right now and examine your thoughts, you're like, oh, man, it's there. So much of how I see this world, it, it's just filled with doubt, lack of trust and, and insecurity. I'm just, doubt is on me. And you see, the problem with that is when you stay in this place of doubt, you often give up. We give up. We give up on God. We give up on God's plan. And that's what keeps a lot of people from church. And I don't mean the building. I mean the people, the community of people, a life-giving organism of people here 
where relationships are born and people help carry one another's burdens and people come together to do meaningful things. I mean, if you would have seen the things people were saying yesterday as they were walking through this building, so thankful, so glad. T today, I'm blown away by what people are telling me there in the lobby. This is such a crazy place. Testimony after testimony. Life is being changed. My son came this morning. I didn't even ask him to come. And he came at 9 o'clock in the morning. I've been asking him to come to church for years and years and years. And he won't come. But today, this Easter, he came to church even without me. I came at 11 o'clock. He came at 9 o'clock. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. I love it. Let's not give up. But they gave up. We give up when we let the doubt take its root. Peter, the apostle Peter, St. Peter, the, the rock that Jesus is going to build his church on, Peter, he packed it in. He gave up because of the confusion. You see, they weren't sitting around saying, Sunday's coming, that glorious day. So listen, if you're in the Friday of life, there is no pain that its purpose cannot redeem. But if you are in the Saturday of life, there is no confusion that his presence cannot calm. We need to be calmed by that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that lives in us. When we experience Easter, we need to be calmed so we're not steeped in confusion. We need to have security, not insecurity. We need to have trust, not distrust. I want you on this journey I don't want you stuck in Friday. I don't want you stuck in Saturday. I want you to take the next steps in the process. I want you to move forward and I want you to get to Sunday, 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 the day of resurrection. There could be pain today in your life, emotional, physical. There could be confusion, doubt, weariness, insecurity, and you might be stuck, stuck, stuck. And you're trying to move forward. You're trying to, to get going. And how do you do that? How do you move forward in your life? Think to yourself, what do you do to move forward to improve your lot in life? You know, what we do, I think, I know I do often, to do that is we try to be better, right? We try to be better. I tell my kids when it comes to sports or academics, listen, if you want to progress, if you want to improve, you're going to have to be better. You're going to have to give a greater effort, right? And when it comes to many areas of life, if we try to be better, that's good. That works. That's helpful. But when it comes to the spiritual journey, when it comes to getting from Friday and Saturday to Sunday, when it comes to getting from pain and confusion to comfort, hope, and peace. The solution is not to be better. No, the solution is to behold. Behold. In the Bible, in the New Testament, the Bible is Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament is the creation of the world up to this silent period, the, kind of the end of this prophetic time. And then right up to the beginning of when Jesus was born, the New Testament starts. And it's the birth of Jesus and the life of Jesus. And it's the beginning of the church, you and I. And there, that word behold, we find it. And, and when we see that in the original language, the Greek, it, it, it says, it's meant to say, 
pay attention. Look. You're going to see something amazing and unexpected. We see these behold statements attached to critical moments in Jesus' life. When the Bible speaks of how Jesus is going to come to earth, greatest miracle in the history of the world, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, Jesus, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Look, pay attention, he's coming, God with us. <laughs> then in John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, the next day, John, this is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, pay attention. It's the one who's going to save us from our sins. And here now, Jesus' mission, his plan and purpose is announced to the world. And then the last one for you this morning. Mark chapter 16, verse 6 says, I'm going I'm to give you the King James Version. We read the King James Version once a year. Here. <laughs> and he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, behold the place where they laid him. Look. Pay attention, the tomb is empty. Jesus is risen, right? It's amazing, it's unexpected. Jesus has been resurrected. Behold, Jesus has conquered death. Behold, he is risen. Behold, he's alive. But you know, behold, look to life. But we kind of struggle to look to life. We tend to look to death. We kind of have this obsession, this fixation with death, huh? I'm going to try and explain that to you with an illustration. I think I can tie it together for you to give you this picture about this depiction of us being kind of focused on death. When I was in my mid-20s before I met Christy, I just kind of went through this season. That's just the way I was, where I just kind of wanted to up the ante on being adventurous. So I can't swim, as some of you know. So I decided to go white river rafting or something like that in Pennsylvania with these like wild class something A rapids. I almost drowned. So since I was living like a month later, I said, okay, you know what I'll do next? I'll get in a plane. I'll go up 3,000 feet in the air while it's going and I'll jump out. And so I set out and I went to this place and, you know, they have this course and you know, it's a four-hour course and they give you a parachute and then pretty much they throw you out of a plane, a plane, right? But really, I take this four-hour class and uh, when it's done, they give me the parachute and then they take me up 3,000 feet in the air. Now, in that class, they tell you when it's your turn to jump, the door, the side of the plane for the most part is going to open up and you got to then step out, okay? And, but they say whatever you do when you step out, by the way, you got to step out. You don't, I, you, I just like close my eyes and jump. No, you got to step out. And it's more of a process, I'll tell you. They say whatever you do, they emphasize this, don't look down. So the door opens up and I look down because it's down. And I'm like, that's it. Psh, no way. I look at the guy, the jump master, I'm like, Ain't happening. I am not getting out of this plane. 
So the guy's like on me. He's like, come on, you can do this. He's motivating me. You, 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 you know, you're going to regret this for the rest of your life. Don't, don't do this. It's going to be awesome. So I'm like, okay, fine. So I step out on the ledge, and I look up at the bottom of the wing, and I grab this bar. The bar kind of runs the entire length of the wing. You, you see, you got to kind of shimmy your way out on the bar to the end of the wing and hang there. And once you're there, you'll look to the jump master. He'll give you the signal. You let go, and you're gone. So as I'm shimmying my way, I am looking like the specks of the paint. I'm not looking down. I'm just like my eyeballs are like, oh, no, the paint. I'm looking. But then I get to the end, and I look down again. I'm like, that's it. So he's like, go. I'm like, no way, man. I'm not jumping. Well, in the same class, they tell you that, listen, it is unsafe for you to go out and come back in. They won't accept it. So much so that if you try and come back in, they will come out and kick you off. And if you're just trying to hold on to the end of the wing, they will come out and kick you off. So I'm telling the guy, like, I'm coming in, and he's like, and he's pointing to his boot, like, I'm going to kick you off. So what am I going to do? <laughs> I, just, I just let go. I just let go, and, man, I spiral. Pretty much I feel all sorts of organs moving around in my body, going to strange places. I pass out, and I'm awakened like violently to this massive jerk that instead of going down, now I go up. And then there it is. Behold. Man, the sky looks so awesome. I I've never seen the sky look like that. Behold. And the clouds, they're like 3D, behold. It was just so incredible. It's like, look, look, pay attention. Look how incredible this looks. It's so amazing. Look what's happened. It's beautiful. It's exhilarating. You see, we're stuck in Friday and we're stuck in Saturday. And we try to be better. We try to move forward in our spiritual journey. We try to get out of these places of pain and confusion. And just trying to be better doesn't work. And here's why I don't think it works. Because in order to do that, in order to get out of Friday, Saturday, in order to get out of the ways that we live that kind of undermine God's plan and purpose, something's got to change, right? And for things to change, something's got to die. That's just the way of life. If something's going to change, something's got to something come, something's got to go. Something's going to live, something's going to die. Change takes death. Now here's the problem with that. So when we're used to thinking like that, and we generally are, as human beings, as simple, you know, imperfect, flawed human beings, when we think about God and coming close to God, we think change. We think, eh, 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 something's got to die. And that thing that has to die, I don't want to die. It's, I'm used to it. I know it's holding me back. I know it's so much less than what God has for me. I know it's coming from the pain and the confusion, but it's my pain. It's my confusion. I don't want this way of living to die. I'm going to hold on to it. Whoa. But you should be saying, behold. Behold, behold the risen Christ. Behold the resurrection of Jesus. Behold the power of God that lives in me that will bring life when there's death. Yes? Behold, people, this Easter. Experience Easter. Experience the resurrection. Experience the power of God that is in you. Behold. Listen, I'm telling you, don't move forward. 
from the place of saying, I'm going to be better. Move forward from beholding the empty tomb. Move forward from knowing that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead and the same power that did that lives in you. And just dwell on that. Now, people say, are you saying I don't have to change? I'm saying behold first. Don't think about changing. Don't focus on changing. Just behold the grace of God. Just stop there. Just pay attention to that. Look to that. And let the Spirit of God rise up in you. We weigh ourselves down with these unnecessary and ungodly burdens. We invite Satan to come into this process and he has no place in it. Stay the course. Stay the process and behold. Listen. Behold that the tomb is empty, but you are full. Yes, today. Behold that you are filled with the love of Jesus Christ, filled with the hope of salvation that God has called you to eternal life this Easter. Revelation chapter 21, 5 says, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Behold, Jesus, the King Jesus makes all things new. Today, your life can be new. It can be greater. It can move forward. Things that need to die will die. You don't have to kill them. Just behold, and the Spirit of God that lives in you will gradually, these things will diminish. Your appetite for them will diminish. Your desire for them will diminish. Your passion for them will diminish because the Spirit of God that lives in you will rise up and you will realize God's plan for you. You will realize that the end of this process is what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is hope, is power, is phenomena. You came to celebrate Easter this morning. I am so glad you did. But I pray and God invites you to experience Easter you, your family, to experience Easter. Today, fix your life on Jesus Christ. Fix, let him be on the throne of your life. Let him rule your life. Let him guide you. Let him comfort you. Let him give you strength this morning. As you go on in this spiritual journey, as you live out your life, now if you want to experience this Jesus, who is the resurrection and who is life, today... I'd ask all of you to bow your heads. I'm going to toss out some words, internalize them. Should this be your moment when you're going to experience Easter, you're going to experience Jesus, you're going to experience that resurrection power in you. The Spirit of God that was breathing you today comes alive. It rules you, it guides you, it comforts you, it's peaceful. It's, it's everything to you this morning. You want to say these words within yourself. God, I need you. Forgive me for living apart from you. I do believe Jesus gave his life for my sins. I mean, that way I was living, oh God. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead Behold, I believe the tomb is empty. Jesus lives in me. Amen. All right. So if you decided today 
to experience Easter as God called you to. You've decided to take that next step in your spiritual journey. Christy talked about a connection card. It's right here, actually. And the, towards the top, underneath the word steps, you're going to see two statements. One says, I have decided to start a new relationship with Jesus. The other one says, I have decided to renew my relationship with Jesus. If that's you today, if that's you this morning, you want to check one of those boxes off. You want to take that card and bring it to the guest services table. It's on the left-hand side as you go out the lobby. They have a package for you, a gift for you, you know. And, and if you're not into that, you can drop it off in the box. But, but, but I just right now, heed, yield, trust in God and move forward. We love to see those cards. We love to see people come to know Jesus Christ. We thank God for what he's doing in your life. This morning, this morning, this is Easter at Chair City Church. Every single Easter, someone has come to know Jesus. And what I mean by that, I don't only mean saying a prayer and chicken box, meaning they have remained, their lives have changed. It's incredible. Every Easter, Ryan was here early, uh, um, what, uh, last service. I don't know if he's here now. He's six, seven months sober, no more than I think he's nine months sober. First time he came in on Easter. Lynn came in on Easter. Come on. George. George, George Labarge is five years sober. Came in on Easter for the first time. Came in on Easter six years ago. And a year, the next Easter, he came up to me and he said, I'm going to stop. And he stopped. I'm drinking a rack of beer. It's a rack of beer. It's 30 beers. I'm like, how do you do that? Listen, praise God. We're going to finish our morning here with a song. A song that's being, uh, that as it's being played, I want you to reflect on experiencing Easter. I want you to reflect on what God is doing you. I want to reflect on just paying attention and looking at who he is and what he's done. Listen, behold, the tomb is empty, empty. Jesus is risen. God bless. To God be the glory.